Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And now it's time for me to welcome my guest, the Honorable Jason Isaac, who is the Director of Life Powered at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Prior to the foundation, Jason, you are a fourth generation Texan. Congratulations and thank you for being a Texan. (laughs) Uh, You also have served four times as a state representative for Hayes and Blanco County in the Texas Hill Country. And you also have had eight years of service successfully passing legislation to reduce taxes, strengthen election integrity, improve public education, preserve the Second Amendment right, protect local groundwater, and protect private property rights. Uh, And happy to have you back on the show again as my guest. Welcome to the show. It's great to be on, Kim. Thanks for having me on. So there's a lot I want to cover because you guys are doing a lot of great things. Let me just give some background real quick on the foundation. The Texas Public Policy Foundation is a mission to promote and defend liberty, personal responsibility, and free enterprise here in Texas. Um, and the nation by educating and affecting policymakers and Texas public policy debate with academia, sound research, and outreach. And your funding as a 501c3 comes from individuals, foundation, corporations as well. We do not accept government funds or contributions or influence of outcomes in this research. Kudos to what you guys are doing. Thanks. We love it. And our our mission at Life Powered is to, right over my shoulder for those that are viewing, is to raise America's energy IQ. I love that. Exactly. So, you know, there's a part uh, when you left the session, um, there was a part of you that really looked at the energy education, uh, like you said, increasing the IQ. One specifically, before we get into what happened in the session in D.C. politics, here's what I want to cover in the show. I want to cover Texas policy, D.C. and the Biden administration. Also, is the Green New Energy Deal killing the whales? offshore wind turbines, are they turning into a matter of national security? And lastly, how is it affecting our energy and financial sectors with ESG? We're going to cover all this in the show. So let's get started with what did you learn the most when you left session as an elected official? Thank you for your service. Um, In the way of education and energy here, specifically in Texas, Yeah, I'd say when I left office in 2019, my last legislative session that I served was in 2017 and came over to work at the Texas Public Policy Foundation where I could really dive into research uh, and and focus on some things and and learn, quite honestly, some things that were happening in the state of Texas that we're we're now working to make a difference on. And it's education in the classroom, uh, learning that kids are are learning or are being taught a lot of misinformation about how uh, good our economy is and our good our, you know, how closely tied our economic prosperity is to the production of energy. The kids aren't learning positive things about that. They're learning bad things about hydrocarbons and they're getting scared about uh, climate change and, and they're being taught that we're actually living in a catastrophic climate crisis, which couldn't be anything further from the truth as we're surviving wonderfully well, if I, as I like to tell people. Uh, and I thought there's got to be an opportunity to Get kids taught unbiased information about all forms of energy produced here in the state of Texas, if not in the United States, where we produce energy more responsibly than anywhere else on the face of the earth. And so since in early 2019, late 2018, we've been on this this track to improve public education when it comes to 
information about energy and the environment and what kids learn. Uh, and so we are removing a lot of the bias out there. We're getting attacked from the left. We're getting attacked from the climate cult uh, because we're actually teaching kids about cost benefit analysis for using various forms of energy. Imagine that good dense energy like we produce here uh, in Texas actually is is much more cost efficient and the benefits are much better. Uh, than than other forms that are heavily subsidized. So it, it's been really rewarding on our efforts there. Uh, and we continue that work to this day. We're, we're working to change and update the standards within our public schools and update the curriculum of which teachers are using. Uh, and this summer, we'll have our first ever summer energy STEM Institute in Midland. Uh, we had space for about 20 teachers. We had nearly 40 teachers register. So it tells us there's a lot of demand for good information about energy produced in this state. So I'm, I'm really excited about our work uh, that our education coordinator, Courtney, we hired someone a little over a year ago full time to work on this project. And she's just doing incredible transformational work. But Jason, if I remember correctly, when you left, I've been following the policy, the foundation and what your work specifically in Life Powered um, there wasn't really, I, I know you said there, there wasn't any curriculum pertaining to energy, yet we live in Texas. Um, and so you were able to pass legislation actually put beyond the economics of it, but also really drill down into energy. Um, and so I want to go back a little bit, drill down into it. Specifically, um, last I spoke to you, you were like, I'm surprised that there's no teaching whatsoever in our classrooms on this. Now you guys have got it passed through. Do you think that some of the work you guys are doing and get, getting this through will curtail a lot of the scare tactics that the left and some unfortunate elected officials use to scare the public, but it's also disseminating down into our children. And so we need a counter. So specifically, there was a curriculum that you guys passed that also really specifically talked about the benefits of energy, right? Oil yeah. and gas. Yeah, which is fantastic. We, and it's, we, we didn't have to change the law to do this. We were able to change some of the standards within the State Board of Education. And, and that's where we really get into the minutia of things, if you will, and deep do a deep dive into, well, why are teachers being – why are they teaching this stuff? And you you get to the bottom of it, and it's really it's about the standards. And so we were able to update the standards at the State Board of Education. So now the kids and it's it's fourth, sixth, and eighth grades in their science classes will learn the positive things about access to energy. How much does your life expectancy increase? How, how much does your access to health care? Uh, how, how about um, there's infant mortality, things like that that are directly attributable to clean having drinking water. <laughs> yeah, clean drinking water, which we're number one here in the world. There's 2.1 billion people on the face of the earth that don't have the luxury that we take for granted to walk over to a tap and turn on water. That's num or number one for clean drinking water in this country. And kids don't know that. And so now I'm really excited that in those grades of fourth, sixth through eighth, the kids will be learning about the benefits of having affordable, reliable, energy, namely from fossil fuels and, and, and mostly here in Texas from oil and gas. Well, later on in the show, we're going to get into the green agenda, the Biden administration, the Democrats green agenda, because, um, you know, we all are supposedly um, led to believe that wind turbine and solar farms are the answer to clean up our energy problems. However, they're having these unintended consequences as well, like killing whales that we're going to talk about later on the show and also has wind turbines offshore 
can it potentially turn into a matter of national security? And some of the white papers and research are doing, and you know, studies are also reflected that that's a problem. So, so we, I'm glad to hear that you're taking children at, at an early age and explaining the differences. Everything is a trade-off. It isn't so much getting off one. We've got to do a transition. And with children committing suicide because they just can't see a way out of this climate uh, change uh, debate. It, it's a serious problem and we need to bring it back somewhere to where it's it's a conversation that isn't scaring our children um, and causing unintended, very severe consequences. So we're gonna get that later on the show. Well, let's switch gears and talk about, uh, so the 88th session just recently ended and we're moving into extended session. Um, so that's a different topic than moving into extended session. But I want to talk about specifically some of the pieces of legislation that passed that are pertaining to our energy policies right here in the state of Texas. Can you cover some that you guys like that you think are wins for the energy policy? Yeah, there's a couple of pieces that I think have been what well, we'd be transformational in our efforts. And we've been working for the last four years. We've been working since before Winter Storm Uri because our research showed, and this is what we do as a as a as a public policy foundation. We go in and we do research. And, and we identify through that research, are there opportunities for improvement? And if they are, what are the recommended policies that align with that research? And years ago, before Winter Storm Uri, we had research that showed that our grid here in Texas, ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas grid, that serves about 80% of Texans. There's some places in East Texas where they're in the Southwest Power Pool. They're in a different grid. But most of Texas is in the ERCOT grid. And we were showing that we were becoming too dependent on variable sources, weather-dependent sources of generation. I call I fondly call them unreliables uh, because they don't show up when you need them most. But what does is our thermal generation from natural gas, from coal, and from nuclear. But what we've seen over the last few decades is coal has just been demonized. And we produce a lot of coal here in Texas. We produce a lot of coal in this country. And then we utilize that coal more responsibly than anywhere else on the face of the earth. I've joked with members, and it's half jokingly, I've said this in front of the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee during my testimony. I've said of all the technology the Chinese steal from us, it'd be nice if they would utilize our pollution control technology. But they don't. Right. And that actually impacts our air quality here in Texas. Believe it or not, foreign pollution is blowing across in the atmosphere right now and landing here in Texas from Asia. It's a big issue in China. I mean, it's a big issue in California, uh, that Chinese air pollution. But they don't, and, and we do. And so what you see coming out of a, a, a steam stack, whether it's coal, natural gas, or nuclear generate electricity is, is steam. So what you see coming out of that stack is steam. They call them smokestacks. They're trying to scare kill children. They're trying to scare the public. But you get steam, greenhouse gases, that's water vapor, and CO2, carbon dioxide, something that's necessary for life on Earth. It's a very small part of our atmosphere. It's about 0.04% of our atmosphere. So we've we've won the war on pollution because we've reduced that 78% over the last five decades. We're world leaders in clean air. As I mentioned earlier, we're number one when it comes to access to clean and safe drinking water. But the left has just said – and that's why I told Congress last week – this is not about emissions. This is not about pollution. It's about control of what the left and the climate cult are trying to do to us. Um, and, and so we got a bill that we've been working on this grid reliability policy for years now and finally had had some victories this legislative session that any new generation that's built in the Texas grid will have to be able to guarantee reliability. So they're going to have to be able to put electricity 
on the grid when Texans need it, not when the weather is cooperating. And so what this means is that wind and solar are either going to have to build massive batteries, the technology that don't exist today, and they're going to spend a lot of money to do it, or they're going to have to build or contract with someone for quick start natural gas generation. So this means we're going to have new thermal, reliable generation come online in Texas in the very near future. And then the Public Utility Commission also in that bill has to study how do you put reliability requirements on for existing generation, which is really the issue that we need to address because about 40 percent of our grid right now is this unreliables. 60 percent is reliable. And that 60%, unfortunately, is getting smaller uh, because of, of so many issues. But I think that that was a big win for Texans. It's a big win for any threats to deindustrialization because that's what's happening in Germany. That's what's happening in the United Kingdom. And Germany is quite a, re reversing their policies now because they're seeing the they're detriment. They're learning the consequences. They, they are. It, right? People are dying. It's just awful. They're freezing to death in Germany. It's terrible because they're decarbonization policies. But it's a lesson for us to learn. Let's not get there. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Honorable Jason Isaac, who is the director for Life Power. Jason, before the break, you were talking about some success when we see uh, what happened. We all remember these winter storms that came through that took us offline, and people in Texas died. It's good to know that our legislators are really taking hold of what happened and making meaningful change. You guys were a part of that. So you were talking about how um, you strengthened the power grid to make sure that it's more reliable. I wanted to let you finish your statement because I had to catch you because of break. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, we've got some work to do in Texas, but we will see this, this grid firming, this requiring variable sources of generation to firm up their availability. So it's it, Texans don't need wind or don't need power sometimes when the wind is blowing full tilt. We need it when it's really cold. We need it when it's really hot. Uh, and, and we're going to continue to see efforts in the winter. That's where our biggest threats are going to come from. But as I was saying about Germany, Germany's learning the hard way. They're going to build 30 new natural gas power plants in Germany because they've they've deindustrialized their country, their economy. People are suffering. They freeze to death in the winter. Freezing deaths are actually on the rise. Colder temperatures are much more dangerous than warmer temperatures. So any global warming that we're going to continue to see is going to be mild and manageable. And it's actually going to be good for humanity. People move to warmer climates. Uh, it's amazing how that works. The left is probably the heads exploding right now listening to your show. And, I, and that's all right. I won't miss them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's the threat that we're facing here in Texas is deindustrialization. And I think we made some good strides with our, some grid reliability works uh, that we've done this session. And I'll say another area where we were kind of on the forefront a couple of years ago was pushing back against this woke environmental, social and governance investing or scoring metrics that people are using. It's the CRT, the DEI, it's it's ESG, it's, it's the CRT of the financial world. And we passed even more legislation in Texas telling insurance companies that they can't consider ESG factors on their rate making policy. And the wins that we are doing have been transformative. There's this net zero insurance alliance that's part of the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero that was funded by Michael Bloomberg. He founded it a few years ago. He funded it. And they've been coordinating, colluding efforts to basically deny services, insurance services, to companies that produce energy in America. 
So we did research a year ago showing that this might be violating antitrust laws. And then we passed a bill just just weeks ago. It's probably just signed by the governor in the last few days that says if you can't consider ESG factors and insurance rate making. And what's happened just in the last couple of weeks, the organizations that founded, that started, that were the, the first insurance companies in this insurance alliance for net zero, net zero insurance alignments, they've pulled out. They're killing that organization. This is a great thing for people. Uh, I testified in Indiana earlier this year on a bill to push back against the weaponization of ESG, this discrimination against energy producers. And this gentleman, the CEO of Halidor Energy, stood up to testify, and, and I'm hearing his testimony, and he was telling the committee members, these members of the legislature, that in times past, to go start a new project to produce energy, he would get quotes from seven different brokers. And today, he gets one quote, because no one will do energy. And so I'm like, that's not a quote, that's an invoice. And they're discriminating against American right. energy producers, the most responsible and best producers on the face of the earth. You know, that white paper is out, which is what caught my attention, because recently, a couple of months back, I had an executive from BlackRock come on the show, uh, Rich Cashel. And, you know, his argument, or it wasn't an argument, it was a nice, you know, pushback, if you will, is that, well, Kim, what, what can we do if it is, again, it is our investors, or, you know, it is our uh, shareholders that want to not invest in fossil fuels. So his claim was they're not doing that. They they are leaving it to the shareholders to make their decision. And then your your white paper popped up, which is a very interesting counter argument to, okay, well, you need to figure something out because uh, it might not work so well here in Texas. And that report can be found on your uh, website, uh, which is under texaspolicy.com. Um, so thank you for explaining that. I, I was wanting to bring you on to talk about that. Let's, yeah, Rich is great. And I've actually met with Rich at BlackRock and, and BlackRock's argument is they do heavily invest in oil and gas. Like we are not boycotting yeah, oil and yeah. gas. We heavily invest in oil and gas. And I said, well, then our concern is, is that's why when I wrote the first bill that passed in the country that, that pushes back against these investment firms, it says if you boycott, divest or sanction fossil fuels, then you can't do business with that particular state. And Texas was the first state to pass that. And I and I wrote this very carefully because I, I had experience in the legislature. So I, the sanctioning part, it, they, they may not be boycotting because they're investing in oil and gas. But last year, BlackRock voted against 176 board members for companies that they invest in for failure to act on climate. So for, for failure to bend the knee, for failure to align with their religion, climate, they voted against 176 board members. I see that as a sanction. When they invested in uh, Exxon and joined with engine number one to replace board members at Exxon, they replaced board members with with climate activists, the people that want to decarbonize a business that produces hydrocarbons. I, I say that's like trying to defood a restaurant. That doesn't work out too well for anyone. And there's no environmental benefit. But sure enough, they, they were successful and they voted to replace these three board members at Exxon with activist board members. And Exxon sold assets in Southeast Asia where they were going to produce oil and gas. And they said they did it for a cash infusion. Sure, there's, there, there's, there's all kinds of stories. But guess who they sold those assets to? If they're trying to decarbonize their portfolio... And that's why they did this. They sold those assets to PetroChina, which BlackRock is, owns 7.5% of PetroChina. 
It's controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. That's why I call it the ESG, the China ESG agenda is really what this is. Exactly. And, you know, if you just look, you mentioned earlier in the show about, well, why doesn't China, since they're stealing all of our other intellectual property, why don't they take and implement some of our policies on the environment? One, they don't want to spend that money and invest in it, because that's part of the reason why we're in this situation, why they keep growing um, and continuing to push push everybody around in the planet. But it is about looking at the globe and saying, if we are getting their pollution because we live in one world, mm-hmm. this should tell you the disingenuousness of this argument. And I want to, I want to just say though, I am, I care about the planet. I think I'm an environmentalist too. But it needs to be sound policies, not pie in the sky craziness. Otherwise, we get things like whales are dying because of the green agenda, and wind turbines are causing now a matter of national security. We're going to cover this when we get back from break. You're listening to the Old Pat Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry. Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust. And we're back to listening to the Noel Patrick Show. My guest today is the Honorable Jason Isaac, who's the Director of Life Power for the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Jason, before the break, we were discussing just the real implications here in Texas about what happens to potentially our economy, as well as the climate, when uh, we start picking winners or losers in the energy sector. It should be a free economy, a uh, free you know, just let what needs to be here be here, excuse me, if you will. I'm going to have to take it out, sorry. It should be more along the lines of looking at what works for the environment and is economic, it makes economic sense or it doesn't. That being said, I want to switch gears because there's a lot going on in the Biden administration and DC politics as well. So let's start with, um, you all released an article that was uh, discussing the, ze- the, the path to net zero, the Green New Deal and how um, it is attempting uh, to uh, put offshore wind turbines out in the northeast part of the United States. Now, Texas probably won't have that, except maybe looking at our coastline, but places like West Texas, probably not. But there's a problem when we go offshore um, and these wind turbines being placed out there. I want to start with, first of all, the problem, the trade-off for the Department of Defense and national security. Can you tell us what are the problems when we put a whole lot of wind turbines out in our oceans for that beautiful visibility? We can imagine seeing wind turbines on our beautiful you know, oceans as we look out. But it's becoming a problem. What's the problem? Well, from a national security standpoint, look at what Japan did. And Japan ceased building offshore wind turbines because of the threat. It basically allows ships, maybe submarines, to go undetected right up to your coast because of the impacts that coastal wind has on radar and sonar uh, and other forms of underwater communications. And that's exactly why you're seeing whales wash up uh, on the beaches along the Northeast. For years, we have not had any issues with whales washing up on the 
the East Coast because the Navy recognized decades ago that the sonar that they were using was rupturing the eardrums of whales and leaving them essentially blind. They couldn't they could no longer navigate or communicate uh, and they would die. And so now what is the Department of Interior and the EPA and the Department of Energy allowing and this Biden administration allowing to go full tilt? They're doing underwater surveys. They're using high penetration into the soil, sonar, radar, uh, and other technology to measure, basically measure the density of the coastal seafloor to see where they're going to put these, these platforms to host and hold wind turbines that are incredibly inefficient. I, I visited Rhode Island last year to meet with some of the commercial fishermen uh, that we're now representing in a lawsuit. It's the Long Island Commercial Fishing Association and Seafree Shoreside, and as well as some, some multi-generational fishermen who go out and fish these waters. And the environmental assessments say that it's going to destroy the fishing quality there. Uh, squid reproduce every nine months. They go out and they fish for squid. They fish for, for other fish uh, there along the East Coast. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. This is this is conservation. This is sustainability. They've, they've figured out how to do it and where to fish and when to fish that everyone wins. Uh, and, and now that's all being destroyed. And the environmental assessments show that. And we're suing because the Department of Interior, uh, the federal government is ignoring those assessments and just pushing forward with this offshore wind. And they're really doing it uh, just to appease their environmental climate cult, uh, their donors, to say that, oh, we are going to decarbonize. The decarbonization does nothing to mitigate a changing climate. It's all about control. And, th and that's what's so unfortunate. Even when you look at the models like I have and like we have here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, we, we show the math that decarbonization doesn't do anything to mitigate any warming on this planet. Uh, but no one you know, will believe us in the current administration. They believed us in the last administration. We made some incredible progress. We need, we need a change to get back to common sense, to get back to reality, and to really protect the land. Because whether it's onshore wind or offshore wind or, or solar that is now destroying thousands of acres, it's just not good dense energy. And there's, there's two reasons why companies or individuals will embrace this decarbonization. And one is to virtue signal to win political favor. And the other one is to take money out of your pocket in the form of tax credits or tax subsidies. Some of these credits programs are now direct payments. And you'd be surprised to know that a lot of them go to foreign controlled companies like Electric de France, which is a 100% controlled by the socialist government of France. You and I are subsidizing them to destroy our land with their their, their wind farms. It's it's insanity. And, and I'm going to do a shameless plug because I've been on the air eight years. And I have to say that the reason why I'm on the air is because if you just follow, just basically following anything pertaining to energy and the policies, nothing makes sense whatsoever at all. It's all ludicrous. But I can tell you, a good friend of mine, a past railroad commissioner, David Porter, one time came on the show and said, Cam, someone needs to follow the money that's trickling in from all over the world into these nonprofits that are exploding of anti-oil and gas and figure it out that really we're, they're being paid to keep us this way for the reason of all these things that we talk about, national security, China, uh, these other countries, um, transfer transferring money to other countries. There's just a lot going on here. It's a very, very untruthful conversation that we are, the general public is being fed. For me, I look at it like I'm going to take one conversation at a time, one great policy foundation, a person, elected official, and talk to them about the lunacy and, and the uh, craziness that's occurring that we're being fed. We're going to take a quick break. I want to get back on the topic of what's happening in D.C. because there's a lot more to cover. You're listening to In the Old Patrick Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patrick Show. My guest today is 
Honorable Jason Isaac, who is the Director of Life Power for Texas Public Policy Foundation. Jason, before the break, we were discussing how the offshore wind turbines on our coastline could truly become a matter of national security that the, that our government has known for quite some time. Um, and so that's something to really think about. Do we really want to do that to ourselves? Uh, and why don't we look at other countries that are pulling back their green energy policies and start looking, why are they doing this? But you also brought up that we're also looking at our beautiful oceans as we're, we're, we're destroying the, the sea life within them um, with these proposal proposed, proposed permits that they want to do for a lot of offshore wind turbines. Some of the data that you produce says, if, if allowed to do this, we will lose 42 humpback whales, 2,500 dolphins, and over 1,500 other types of, for, for, for actually having 1,500 wind turbines put off the shore of New Jersey. What a horrible thing to think about, that we are now trading sea life for green, green the Green New Deal, if you will, mm -hmm. and, and really not causing a difference. If anything, I want you to explain to us, in oil and gas, they have so many regulatory hurdles and agencies that they have to deal with before one rig um, before they do one frack here in the United States of America. But for some reason, other solar and wind are always omitted from having to follow the same criteria. Explain to us why that is the case. And, and I really want to understand how come they get a green light, if you will, if they are the green ones that are saying they're protecting the environment, yet they don't have to answer to anybody when they're destroying the very environment that they want to put these wind turbines and solar farms or solar panels up in. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why we're we're leading the effort on a lawsuit in the Northeast to push back because they're the the government is ignoring the environmental assessments and the numbers some of the numbers that you just spouted off about how many whales that they're allowed to take that's what their permit is for they're permitted to kill endangered species but imagine if if someone oil and gas producer wanted to build an offshore rig uh, in the northeast right now and there's just no way it would happen because it would get mired in court for decades even if there was affordable reliable energy if there's fossil fuels there in the ground it, it would just drag on and the cost would become way too high. But they roll out the red carpet, which is really now the Red Sea, because you're going to have all these blinking red lights and dead whales and, and dead dolphins, and you're going to destroy thousands of acres of fishing land. And it's just because the federal government is permitting them to do it. And uh, uh, that's one of the reasons why we are suing. But you've got is that this is a Danish company, Orsted, that is pushing forward doing this because they're they're no they get investment tax credits so they don't pay to build these things they don't pay taxes to build them they have companies like BlackRock that are dumping millions of dollars into them to go down this route and do this and then they're going to get direct payment cash subsidies for production tax credits of your money so we're going to pay higher taxes we're going to have more debt in our country and we're going to pay higher electricity rates for less reliable electricity all at the same time it's just it's it's unbelievable that they have the ability to do this, but this is what happens when you have a federal government that is way too big, that is way too bureaucratic. They get to pick winners and losers, and they're doing it. And the Americans are the ones that are losing, and it's the Chinese that are winning. It's the it's the Danish and the the the, the French that are winning because they're taking our subsidies and dumping them back into their countries. It's I cannot believe we're subsidizing communism and we're subsidizing socialism with our tax dollars, but that's exactly what's happening. 
And that's Jason because the word is not getting out, but hopefully um, one show at a time it will. Let's let's talk about um, the recent announcement from Saudi Arabia that they are going to cut oil production by a million barrels. Uh, OPEC, OPEC and OPEC Plus, which is kind of their friends, Russia, um, they said that they are worried about the looming recession and decreased demand and would push crude prices even lower. So the last time that OPEC Plus cut production, the Biden administration was limited. I want to understand what's going on because we do remember the midterms. There was our president, President Biden out there begging Saudi Arabia to work with them because we were getting close to midterm elections. Now they've decided that they are going to cut oil production. Um, what is happening here with uh, OPEC and, of course, the Biden administration? And how is this going to benefit us? Well, you know, the, the old Southern saying, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. And here OPEC is giving the Biden administration a gift horse and they're checking the teeth and and they're looking at it in the mouth and they're wondering, is this really a good idea? Do we want to take this? But they're doing it by saying we're going to cut production. So what could the Biden administration do is they could get out of the way and let Americans produce more energy here in this country. They could help build the pipelines, the infrastructure that we need to get those products to market to not only benefit Americans with less expensive energy, but to benefit people. People around the world with American energy. We could export our economic freedom, our clean air around the world. And here is this gift from the Saudis saying they're going to cut production. Uh, but no, the, the Biden administration is going to say, no, thanks. We, we need to decrease the use of fossil fuels, even though the, the uh, EIA Energy Energy Information Administration is saying that demand for fossil fuels is going to continue to increase through 2050, but they're going. The government is now forcing us to pay higher prices. They're trying to do what I call what ESG is the acronym that I use: make energy expensive, scarce, and government controlled. Um, so it, it's really unfortunate. We've got this incredible opportunity to boost Americans, to boost the American econo economy. But the Biden administration is just saying no thanks. Well, you know, even in his State of the Union speech, he did clarify we're not going any we're not going to get off oil and gas anytime soon. But if they're going to regulate it so deeply and, and, and harshly, we're, we can expect to pay more at the pump. And that's basically what's happening, along with. I don't know. Is there, you know, a solution in the 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 uh, debt ceiling uh, legislation that passed? There seems to be a starting point for energy reform. We our last issue of Shell Magazine we covered the Willow Project, basically showing the need for as some form of energy reform. And I, and I want to clarify to any listener who's sitting here thinking, well, you know, great for oil and gas. No, it's really any major energy project. Rather, you're a fan of oil natural gas, solar, wind, it doesn't matter. Any major project has got to have some energy reform because they too are looking down at problems with getting their, getting their projects funded as well. Can you talk to me about what you guys think about that feeling? Yeah, well, it, it was. it's not good for the American people overall. The only bright spot that comes out of that, in, in, in my opinion, is this, this MVP, this Mountain Valley Pipeline. Uh, apparently, they put language in there that will stop the lawsuits, that will allow that pipeline that's over 90% built, billions of dollars invested to build this pipeline, to get natural gas to the markets from West Virginia – 
uh, from the Appalachian area. This will be great for for those people, but the trade-offs are are incredibly bad. A lot more debt for the American people. We're, I think we're over thirty-one trillion dollars in debt right now, uh, and and unfortunately, not a, a bunch of pullback, if any pullback at all, on any spending for the Inflation Reduction Act, which by any other name is the Green New Deal. It's the so-called largest invest, basically the so-called largest theft of your tax dollars into foreign-owned energy production, namely wind and solar. That's what the, the Inflation Reduction Act is. It's this, this Green New Deal, the largest theft of your money to prop up unreliable electric generation to the detriment of American people. So and no, no, no pullback on that in the Inflation Reduction Act. You're listening to the Oil Patria Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is the Honorable Jason Isaac, who is the Director of Life Power for Texas Public Policy Foundation. Jason, I'm sorry we have to take a hard break. Let's go back and visit uh, this debt ceiling legislation. So Senator Manchin really wanted to get his pipeline through. Good for him. It looks like it's going to have that opportunity. But overall, you know, we really did need some kind of energy reform. It looks like it might be a starting point, but the devil will be in the details, right, as always. And we're dealing with an administration that's very anti-fossil fuel. But you were discussing how this has just not been a good thing for the American people. But neither was the America, the Infl- uh, Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, the policies that are rolling out now, it's a matter of cramming, it seems like. Cram everything you want in there for the left. And the right might get one or two things. It's never really good for the American people. But I want to, you know, let you finish and and, and talk about how how detrimental is this one going to be? <laughs> yeah. What it, what have they done now? Well, along the Inflation Reduction Act, one of the things that they did is this production tax credit and this carbon, the 45Q tax credit. These were credits that companies could get for reducing uh, carbon dioxide emissions, capturing and and storing that carbon dioxide. Again, it does nothing to mitigate a changing climate, but this is what happens when you have crony capitalism uh, coupled with a government that's just hell-bent on destroying our American way of life and doesn't mind handing out yours, our dollars. Uh, So they increased this tax credit from $50 per ton of CO2 captured and stored to $85 minimum, and it's now not a credit, it's a direct cash payment. And that payment could go up to as high as $185 if you're doing direct air capture, something that Oxy is doing out in the Permian Basin. It's the most inefficient way, if you're going to capture CO2, it's the most inefficient way to do it to capture it directly from the air. It's like walking outside and trying to capture CO2. The best way to do it, if if there is a, a need to do it, or if you want to do it, it's off a power plant. Uh, but but no, the government wants to throw more of our money to basically buy these companies to support their green policies. And that's exactly why they're doing it. And they're being pressured from shareholders to do it. Uh, so the, the Inflation Reduction Act is the, is the Green New Deal. And extending the debt ceiling, the debt limit, basically just allows the money to flow into those projects, to build electric vehicle stations all over this country, where they're going to sit basically unused for decades to come. Uh, but they're buying off people to win their support. You know, you, it, that is most definitely for sure happening. But you also mentioned something that you want to cover as well is the electric vehicle market. It's so it is. I don't understand. We don't have battery capacity. Um, this cannot, you cannot have a car without a battery, right? That's right. You know, you might love the Tesla, but 
unless you're making a lot of money, you're probably not going to afford one, but they do have cheaper models now coming out everywhere or from all the dealers. However, they're learning very quickly that they're going to have a problem with those batteries. Um, and some of the reasons why is because we just don't have the minerals necessary. They're rare minerals and we don't have enough. We can't mine them fast enough. And that's a shame when you look at other outside the United States countries and how they're mining to get what is needed, cobalt, lithium, yeah. and how they're bringing children uh, four years old to mine for us to drive around in a Tesla. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Um, yeah, I, I joked one time, it's how many kids can you fit in a Tesla and it's 40,000 because that's how many kids between the ages of four and 13 are working in cobalt mines and lithium mines in the Congo. And over 80% of those mines are owned and controlled by Chinese companies, which means they're owned and controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. How many times have we said China? I feel like Donald Trump would be looking at China, 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 <laughs> yeah. China, China. Yeah. It's the truth. And what he said was the truth yeah. um, about China. But let's let us let's get back on topic. EVs, there is some headway. You guys are going to produce some research here soon. Um, or I'm going to, let me clean that yes. up. You guys have produced some research pertaining to EVs, electric vehicles, and Toyota. Tell me a little bit about your research. Yeah, we're going to be launching some research here in the next month that just shows how much each one of us that are buying maybe an internal combustion engine are paying towards an electric vehicle, uh, how, how much, how efficient they are. We're going to really break down some of the cost. And, and I think people are going to be shocked. And you're going to find out, well, wait, why are car companies doing this? You know, Ford's losing over $60,000 per electric vehicle they're building, billions of dollars they're losing. And they're doing this because of investment pressure from companies like BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, which are the world's largest financial institutions. There are some of the largest institutional investors investing into these companies and directing them to do this, but they're losing money doing it. And that means that you and I, if we go out and buy an internal combustion engine car, we pay more money to subsidize electric vehicles for wealthy people. And I, I want to praise Toyota because the chairman of Toyota has come out and says, we're going to continue building internal combustion engine vehicles. Vehicles. In fact, he said that for the electric components that go in one electric car, they could build 90 hybrid electric cars and reduce emissions of pollution. That's substantial. Cars are already you know, just incredibly clean here in the United States. But he says reducing CO2 emissions, these greenhouse gas emissions, which are necessary for life on Earth. Again, I, I'm not a fan of reducing CO2. I think that would ultimately kill us off. Uh, but he says, I could build 90 cars that are more fuel efficient and would have a greater reduction of emissions. And that just proves that the climate cult doesn't care about emissions or pollution. They care about control. That's why they haven't embraced nuclear energy. Uh, that's why they haven't embraced Toyota. And, and shareholders will vote. There is this massive project going on to vote against the chairman of Toyota because he is not bending the knee to their ESG demands. Uh, and that's to go 100% electric like many other American car fleet have done. Now, he wants to continue to make money and produce great cars for his customers and make money for his shareholders. So it, it's, 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 I, I applaud Toyota for their efforts to push back because they understand reality. So one car to 90 cars. And let's also remember when California starts having their rolling blackouts, all of those Teslas are parked. <laughs> yeah, in California, they, they during during the summers in California, when they don't have enough reliable electricity, they tell you not to charge your cars between five and 10. And, and, and they're telling you now, like, please don't do this. But with some of the behind the meter technology that California is requiring now, they'll be able to go in and shut off 
your car from charging. They'll be able to go in and shut off high electric using appliances like washers and dryers. Things that we just take for granted here. Oh, absolutely. People are already furious because they they get these alerts on their phones about sign up for this program and we'll give you lower electric rates. And then they're all of a sudden their thermostat set at 78 degrees in the summer or it's set at 60 degrees in the winter. And they're like, wait, what's going on? And they can't override it because they've accidentally opted into this program where now they're being controlled. Wow. Well, Jason, uh, I'm going to give you the last word. Um, tell us where we can find some way to keep doing what you guys are doing. And uh, you're making ludicrous policy, global policy. And you're basically calling out who are the bad actors in the in this administration and in the world. Keep doing what you're doing. Where can our listeners find you to follow your website and the great work you guys are doing and possibly contributing to continue? Somebody needs to increase uh, the IQ of the American people, period, not just in oil and gas. Because <laughs> you guys are a great organization. Where can they go to find more information with you? Yeah, texaspolicy.com, where a 501c3 tax-deductible charitable contributions are welcome uh, to support our work. We work in a bunch of other areas of policy, but we're promoting free enterprise, limited government, personal responsibility, and individual liberty. Uh, So if you you like those things, if you like our mission and you want to support some of our work, whether it's in improving education or or work on energy and environment and and trying to make energy affordable and reliable for the benefit of humanity, uh, you can go to texaspolicy.com to learn more about us and check us out at lifepowered.org. It's lifepowered.org and look for us on social media. Very good. Thank you, Jason, for being a guest. Great. Thanks, Kim. Appreciate you having me on. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.